In the heart of these animated wonders, there are tales and symbols older and darker than the castle's highest tower. Welcome to Occult Disney. Journey with Paranoid American and Matthew Comagies as they traverse the intricate pathways of alchemy, the shadowed corners of biblical narratives, and the very folklore that birthed these tales. Beneath every brushstroke lie whispers of writers' taboos, the cloak-and-dagger politics of hallowed studios, and secrets held close. Every magic has its price, every kingdom its shadows. Are you prepared to peer beyond the veil? Welcome to the Occult Disney Podcast. Hi everyone, it is Occult Disney. This is Matt here. Joining me as always is the Paranoid American. Howdy. Hey guys. There we go. Keep it nice and short and sweet. But it's Christmas time, isn't it? It's a holiday season. And uh, it just happens to line up nicely that it is time on our on our list of movies to do The Nightmare Before Christmas. Uh, the, the ground zero for Hot Topic stores, at, at least uh, for the 20 years afterwards. I don't know about now. I haven't been a Hot Topic for n- ever. <laughs> you don't have to lie. No, I was just thinking, I think I never went to one because by the time they started showing up in malls, I was in you know Athens, Georgia, and we had like the Junkman's daughter. Why would I go to Hot Topic? <laughs> so you've never been in a Hot Topic unironically? I, I probably went in with a girlfriend at some point, just kind of walked in for a minute. Yeah, but I don't think I've ever bought anything at a Hot Topic, but uh, I did notice that half of the things there, at least in like the 2000s were you know from the nightmare before christmas or uh new metal bands right so <laughs> i i will admit i think i bought a clearance like Marilyn manson shirt from a hot topic while i was in high school so it, it fits the the bill that makes sense maybe you didn't have a junkman's daughter or a junkman's daughter's brother to go to i don't even know what you're talking about and it sounds like it might even be illegal <laughs> it does when you say it that way no those are uh, some kind of um boutique weird young hipster stores in atlanta area and athens georgia so maybe they're still there i i couldn't say but uh yeah that i guess that all of this stuff you know kind of like keys into my mind goth girls high school like you're saying for me that kind of is the nightmare before christmas i mean you could just extend that to tim burton couldn't you you could but especially this one like you know batman returns or ed wood the movies he was actually making when this was being made um don't have that great movies but don't really have that same cachet you know uh this is just may i don't know i, mean, I think edward scissorhands might have been one of those og he's kind of like a cooler version of the guy from the cure and i can't believe i can't remember his oh, name robert right smith my head yeah he, he's kind of like an even edgier pun intended version of robert smith in a way but that became this new like love interest like i love the dead guy i love the homunculus right that's let's be mm. honest that's what edward scissorhand was <laughs> he was a homunculus yeah yeah that makes sense when you say it that way uh, i i did say ed wood by the way which no i i understand it. yeah ed, ed wood didn't really get the same attention as the other ones but it was also more of a sleeper like you had to care a little bit about edward it's also a really interesting one i did i saw it opening night that i'm just saying i think it's funny that he made so many as hardcore ed movies you know um the other thing about the nightmare for, before christmas is i saw it opening night 
and I watched it last night. That was my second viewing. I have not seen it since uh, October 29th, 1993. So, bro, this is a pretty uh, consistent classic here, and we'll we'll get into I guess one of my main theories here. I'll just I'll just blurt it out, whatever. But that Disney is and. This isn't like I'm I'm not I'm covering like these golden plates and deciphering them and claiming a new religion out of this. It's almost a completely obvious, but just to state the obvious, Disney decided, why don't we just own the entire the entire months from October to December? If we do, if we take this particular strategy and release this movie, which did came out on um October 29th, so it came out like right at October uh, during Halloween and like it has this longevity that can last all the way through Christmas. So now people collect it for not just Halloween, but also for Christmas. And by establishing that it almost made it like an evergreen thing because if it can apply to two holidays, why can't it just apply year round and become more of like a, like a mentality. And I think that that was G I don't know if they did it intentionally. It feels like they did it intentionally. Uh, but they definitely know how to market it intentionally. Yeah, I think it's the marketing, uh, you know, some lucky serendipity because this is a little bit outside of the Disney sphere. Um, Tim Burton, of course, we've mentioned before, was an animator with Disney in the early 80s. He did the first version of Frankenweenie. He did Vincent. He wanted to do this as like a 30-minute special or something, but then he left Disney became a successful director, Beetlejuice, Peace, Big Adventure, the Batman movies, and um, realized that Disney he Disney owed him like a film project or something. So, and Katzenberg was into the idea of him doing it. Uh, of course, like I said, Burton was actually making Batman Returns and then Ed Wood when this was in production. So uh, this is technically like a Harry Selleck movie and they've branded it with Tim Burton. So it's his story. It's his ideas. It's his uh, sensibility. Selleck was partly tasked with um, make it a Tim Burton movie. But uh, apparently Tim Burton was only in the San Francisco production studio, like maybe eight or 10 days for the whole production. So he was not very hands on, but they were, you know, it was kind of like he was uh, franchising his aesthetic or something. Aesthetic. (laughs) And pretty smart. And honestly, sometimes if you find a team that understands the vision, you don't have to be there every day uh and that might even be good right like you might not have to micromanage any of it and they might be able to do a better job and and stop motion animation literally drives people insane so i can see him being like yeah i don't want to get into the nitty-gritty of stop motion animation um <laughs> like I, even more than regular animation <laughs> yeah i got i got these hot topic shirts to sell i can't go crazy quite yet right right i already look crazy can't go crazy of course, we got Danny Elfman here. It's uh, which have you seen any modern pictures of Danny Elfman? You mean like a photograph of Danny Elfman? I have not. Yeah. Oh, he he's been doing concerts recently. He's like in his sixties or something, maybe up to seventy. Is he a looker? He's, he's got. Well, he's he's in a he's something to look at. He's um always got wildly dyed hair. He's gotten jacked, which is insane. Like he's like been bodybuilding or something. So when you see him now, you're kind of like, what is this? Right on, man. I mean, <laughs> I mean, good for him, but he's definitely like he's chosen in, especially in later years, he's chosen an even stronger visual vibe than um, a personal visual vibe than uh, Tim Burton. 
he he picked it up a little late in life, but there's never it's never too long to peacock your way out. Well, it was weird from the start. He was in the uh and you know started off in the band Oingo Boingo, you know, which I was wondering if that's why it's Oogie Boogie in in this movie. So, <laughs> who is legitimately but, uh, creepy as a a villain, in my opinion? Yeah, yeah, it looks a little bit like somewhere between the Ghostbusters symbol and when they tried to turn the Ghostbusters symbol into a CGI monster in the 2016 movie. Kind of kind of made me think of that a little bit. This is cooler because it's got the texture and, and the bugs inside and stuff. So, And th- I think <laughs> there's just something inherently scary about a burlap, burlap sack to a child. Like, you're a kid, you see a burlap sack, you're like, something good's not coming out of this thing. <laughs> that could be it. Yeah, there is something about the psychic influence of this movie because i'm like who did i even see this movie with i might have just gone with my dad but of course in my mind now i went with like goth girls but i don't think i actually went to the movies with the goth girls we just had a quote-unquote lunch as in we weren't eating anything out out in front of the school that's how dumb kid I, was, I was i was like i don't want to be in the lunchroom i'll just hang out in front of the school and then girls started hanging out with me and like it didn't like I didn't put two and two together there. But that's my own problem as a teenager. <laughs> yeah, it, it clicks like 10 years later and you're like, oh, that's what was going on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oops. Oh, well, so this was I think this <laughs> came a- out around the same time, too, that I wasn't like it was not cool to go to the movies with your parents at this point, even though I don't I don't agree with that now. I don't believe that now. Um, at the time I a hundred percent believed it. It was like, if people even knew you lived in the same house as your parents, you might not be as cool as you really could be. Like, you know, I live by myself. I've got my own apart. Uh, maybe not to that extreme, but, but I think because of that, I saw this thing on DVD when it came out and like the background when I wasn't paying as much attention, but after I caught a glimpse of it, I did end up going and like renting it and just like watched it. And I thought it was cool i mean like you said it was a complete departure from what disney's been doing up until now uh the closest i can even think of would be maybe fantasia when they do um the whole you know black god scene i can't think of a lot of other like overly creepy like completely focused on just creepiness for the entire movie situations in any other disney movie yeah this one was released under touchstone uh, like Roger Rabbit, because they're like, oh, it's a little more adult, so, so we should not market it to kids. But about they've embraced years it later, though. Like they have fully embraced it at this point, as it's if been it were rebranded. A Disney. Yes, it's been rebranded as like a mainline Disney film. Uh, when I was looking at the Blu-ray here, I got you know the uh, the new CGI logo, which I wanted a Touchstone logo, so I was a little disappointed there. Uh, it's always fun to see the old Touchstone logo here and there, or even the you know the um, weird synth themed uh white and blue logo from the 90s i i missed that one so i i yeah leave the leave the period appropriate logo on your movie people <laughs> i don't think they're listening no they're not listening <laughs> so, so anyone that would actually hear that could they could do something about it isn't hearing it the other fun thing is i had to rewatch the last uh 20 minutes of the movie uh Actually, just before doing this, because, you know, not because it was boring or something, it was short. I, I remember on opening night us being a little disappointed because it was so short. We were like, what was it? But um, yeah, last night I was like dozing off a little, so I had to rewrite it. But I kept writing notes while I was like falling asleep. So <laughs> uh, I'll read a few of those because I don't know what they mean. I, I said something looks like a scientific bong. Um, <laughs> I don't okay. know what that the, means. the guy kind of does. The scientist does. 
That oh, that might be it. That might be it. Okay, Santa's OCD with all of his list. Well, that's the list. Here's the one. They've got something for Peyton Reese's military organization. Like, what does that mean? It's just like an infomercial that came on in the middle of the night. You're like, I should look into that. I don't know, but that's the one that really blows my mind. Because, but but the point is, I was watching this like in a weird um, between state and writing strange things in my notes. So. I was I was kind of excited about that, but I did have to rewatch the last twenty minutes of the movie this morning. So, <laughs> since you went on a, on a tangent, I'm going to cash in a tangent card really quick. Are there any weird, sure. like, uh, and I'm not, I don't even know if you still even have like network TV, but let's just say you had you know regular network TV, or if it were ten years ago, are there weird infomercials in Japan too about like stuff that would only be on at two a.m. or is like it just weird twenty four seven? Oh, it's weird 24-7. Uh, 10 a.m. on a Sunday morning, you'll come on and there's a panel of TV talent. What What is their talent? They're on TV panels. That's like all they do. And they're like all like, oh, a guy over like like a, you know, a, a, an electric toothbrush or something. So it's not just 2 a.m. It's like, you know, all day, every day. Um <laughs> It sounds like pre TikTok. Like you're just like just good at being excited and having facial expressions. It is. Um, like people still watch network TV in Japan, which is a different beast in Japan, of course. But uh, you know, especially older people just watch whatever's on TV, and even kids uh, are watching TV. I can't think of American kids like watching proper TV much anymore. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I think it would be weird. I mean, I, not that it's like would be bad because I assume if you're like homeschooled or if you don't let your kids um, have their own devices that consume media, you might be watching network TV or you've got a stack of Disney movies or or maybe just like Veggie Tales of Disney's too evil. Another interesting thing is uh, NHK, the state TV, Japanese state TV, which people do watch. It's not like PBS in the States, um, but Sunday night they will feature like a like an american or british movie or something and and then that like hmm. validates the japanese people and thinking oh that must be a good movie like go <laughs> so there that's a like kind of weird subtle or not so subtle mind control that do you know any of the movies they've played recently um whiplash with, uh, which was called okay so fairly modern yeah the, the with, drummer movie right? yeah yeah yeah. which was called sessions in japan which uh, i haven't seen yet uh i do my film podcast it's on the list i'm like i'll watch it when we get there you know but uh i've had a friend tell me i think he saw it on the nhk and just like you should watch it. it's great and yeah it's supposed to be a very good movie but uh that's that's, that's the good. one yeah. i can think of um what are some other ones i think maybe the star wars prequels uh became more popular in japan that way because uh in Japan, people like the prequels, maybe because since it's dubbed, they got better voice actors. <laughs> you know, Is it a burn. It's a yeah, that's a Are bit you of a burn. Right now, yeah. Well, I'm just like if you have the voice actors, they're kind of you know because the prequels, even with very good actors, are giving you very stilted lines. So if you have someone dub it, then you're doing okay. I personally liked the George Lucas Star Wars the best out of all of them so far. What like the prequels? And, and I mean the two. What is it? The nineteen ninety nine one. I don't even remember. The, I don't even know the, the name the of Phantom it. The Phantom Menace. The fan. That's my favorite Star Wars to date. Still. Oh wow! And I'll die okay. on that hill. But yeah, you you said Star followed Wars by the Ewoks Wars. one, which was Return of the Jedi, if I'm not mistaken. That's correct. Yes. And which are, if I also TV understand, movies. are like the two worst ones when it comes to hardcore star trek or star wars lovers eh, i 
guess. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but it's also an We're, age thing, I guess. But uh, it's funny. Sometimes they'll have vintage stuff in the Japanese theaters. You will see Nightmare Before Christmas stuff regularly. Uh, they had like Phantom Menace action figures like six months ago at the at the little movie theater gift shop. So that was weird. How Yeah. How was Nightmare Before Christmas play out in Japan? It's a style thing only i would say i mean i'm sure a few people have watched it but people definitely know the imagery from the movie um but that's the thing in japan like i'll often see kids wearing like a ramones t-shirt or something that's because the design's cool they got it at the uniqlo but they don't actually know what it is so they got it at the hot topic or whatever the version of hot topic is right 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 well that's half the stores in tokyo i guess but <laughs> do you stop them like name three kubrick movies right now <laughs> no you, if they're wearing a 2001 shirt it's like have you seen that movie and they're like oh this is a movie <laughs> they don't even necessarily know it's a movie so uh, what about santa claus is that does he have any presence whatsoever yeah christmas is basically like Kids get a present. Everybody is supposed to eat fried chicken. KFC did marketing so well 20 years back that everyone thinks they have to eat fried chicken for Christmas in Japan now. So when I tell them, like, we don't eat fried chicken in America so much for Christmas, that's, you know, they're like, what? It blows their mind. <laughs> that's honestly awesome. Um, we should just do, like, an episode on on how KFC managed to establish their, their foothold in Japanese Christmas. Oh, and in the past year or two, they've started putting into commercials a, um, a young Japanese Colonel Sanders. <laughs> <laughs> so he's in the Colonel Sanders suit. He's got the goatee, but he looks like he's about 30. He doesn't look that old, you know? So <laughs> I think he could do well, man. He could be big in Japan. He is big in Japan. They should, they, they should market him in America. Just really confuse people. Um, <laughs> Halloween here is interesting, actually, because Halloween only became a thing in the past 10 years. Uh, when I first started working in Japan, my you know, I'm working at an English school. We'd have a Halloween party, and I had a hell of a time finding a costume because uh, it just what Halloween wasn't a thing here. It is now. Um, not so much like trick-or-treating, but Halloween parties. You know, kids are a little more into it. Uh, but... What are, what is Halloween music? I guess there's the Monster Mash, and there's this is Halloween from this movie. So Halloween October in Japan, you you get just pelted over the brain the entire month with the song uh, "This Is Halloween," and then for Christmas they hardcore Last Christmas. So in Japan, those are the ones you hear the most. This is Halloween and Last Christmas. <laughs> That's a great note because yeah when you say halloween music i think monster mash which is what like 60s yeah and then play that here not a lot since then there's like the dr demento one i can't remember what that one was but that that was a little bit more obscure and mm. then there's this song so again disney they found a gap in the market and they're like we can really and i guess this will go into my disney theory but like they they own nostalgia they've invested in the ultimate bitcoin which is nostalgia and it means it's like the ultimate brand loyalty essentially and this is just a way to like solidify you thinking of disney 24 7 or when halloween pops up now there's a reason for you to think of disney again and keep thinking of disney all the way through christmas although um 
I, it wasn't this viewing when I figured out that that was the Nightmare Before Christmas song, but I've been hearing that song for the past five years, and I haven't seen this movie for a while. So for the first two years of that, I'm like, what is a song well, <laughs> that they're just pelting Disney. me over the head with? <laughs> if someone mm-hmm. told you it's a Disney song, how surprised would you have been? Yeah, there's a um, kind of this crazy like discount store, and it's not like a Walmart. It's like it's almost like mixing a, a Hot Topic with a Walmart, if that makes any sense. Called a Don Quixote, where they just have like super cheap stuff. When my parents visited a few years ago, my my mom really liked it. So when they visited this October, I I took them there because then they needed some things. But yeah, my my mom was going nuts because they were playing that song at top volume, and she was like, I can't think, get me out of here. So <laughs> Disney was melting. It's worldwide, man. The programming is worldwide. Yeah, yeah. That that's that's at least like an amusing outcome of it. Well, not for her. I guess she was being driven nuts by the loud music and flashing lights in the uh, discount store. <laughs> so, what, what was your for all of us? What was your takeaway opinion on your second viewing ever? Aside from um, it putting you to sleep, apparently. Well, that's because I was watching it late at night, not because I was like bored or didn't like it. I'm like trying to stay awake. That's where I started writing like bizarre notes because i'm trying to stay awake and not quite managing it and i woke up this morning it's like you know what i didn't actually know what happened the last 20 minutes of that um but that did let me watch um the oogie boogie sequence in like kind of a dream state i guess so watching this morning i could make sense out and last night what was that what happened man (laughs) you know that's where there was like black lights whoa what's going on it was kind of like I watched the last 20, 20, 30 minutes of it, like on acid or something last night. So that's kind of cool. Um, the sleepy version, but whatever. <laughs> Homegrown. Maybe the DMT in my brain was just like uh, pulsing a bit. I don't know. <laughs> so that made it kind of cool. But uh, yeah, I, I definitely, I guess now it has a reputation. So when we first saw it, it was like, wow, that animation is so cool. Uh, not I'm really understanding even what what goes in stop motion like I do now. Um, so now I'm just like sitting there like trying to figure out how they did half of this stuff. So that's kind of cool. Um, the story, you know, knowing more about archetypes and knowing more about like relationships and stuff, it worked better. I don't know. When I first saw it, something the story didn't latch me for some reason. So maybe maybe it wasn't for kids. What would I have been 14 when I saw it? So I don't know. But yeah, you know, I quite enjoyed watching it last night. So um, I'm not the biggest person in like, I like a lot of Tim Burton movies, but the Tim Burton aesthetic has never really been like my thing. So. Uh, so there's a weird rambling answer to your question. I, I mean, I definitely <laughs> think Tim Burton's aesthetic was my thing, although Edward Scissorhands by far is like for me, that's like peak Tim Burton aesthetic. And after that, it kind of just gets ridiculous. Then you get like Willy Wonka, which is almost like the the lip injection BB BBL version of, mm. of uh, Tim Burton in a way, you know, it's got like, a, like this artificial gleam to it where everything's just inflated a little bit, but yeah. Is that make me like a Tim yeah. Burton hipster? Maybe, maybe I'm at my most Burtony now. Cause I wear dark suits a lot. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> usually wear black, you know, dark jacket, dark shirt if I can. So, um, <laughs> no, what would have been my aesthetics? Um, you know, I was playing in bands in high school, so in the early nights, just straight grunge, you know, flannel shirt and band t-shirt and jeans, which I don't wear jeans anymore. Um, and then in the late 90s, I, I actually did this several times where I would play concerts. Uh, 
dressed basically like croft work on the man machine cover skinny black tie and a and a red shirt thing i did that for a few years then when i went to university i went with uh early early fedora and like you know i, I was trying to look like a jack Kerouac in the 50s i guess for a while so that that's always been like my style did you ever tip your hat and um, call someone milady hmm no, I don't. I don't think I did any hat tipping. It was like an Indiana Jones fedora. Mm, okay. It wasn't like okay. a classy one. It still doesn't get a pass, by and, the way. Um, if you're few... wondering, it doesn't get a pass. Like the in, the intent doesn't matter. In 1997. In, in the 1997. Yeah, 90, even in 97, <laughs> it doesn't count. It's like possession is nine tenths of the law. If you had a fedora, you're okay. Guilty. <laughs> I did. I did. So by 2003, 2004, I was like, maybe, maybe I shouldn't wear this thing. But uh, I, I still, I still have like, there you go. I still have that. So. <laughs> I don't. I don't wear this one. I just got this one because it was like um, two hats, fifty percent off. Uh, so, but you're you're forties now, much. right? Yeah. Okay. So you can wear. Yeah, you, you're allowed to wear fedoras now because they're made for old men. Okay, I'll be. I will be rocking the Santa cap uh, next week, I guess, because I'll be doing Christmas all week at at the school. So maybe I should sing. This is Halloween. I don't know. <laughs> you could do the Jack Skellington version. Something like that. I couldn't hit those notes. I can sing okay, but I, I will. You do have to give Danny Elfman uh, credit for being able to hit all those notes, since he does Jack's singing voice. Um, I did notice Catherine O'Hara. It seems did the voice of Sally and the singing as well. So I guess she could actually sing. Are you Are you very familiar with the uh, Catherine O'Hara? The name sounds familiar, but I don't know why. She's the mom in Home Alone. I think she might be in Shit's Creek more recently. Okay, yeah. Of course, one of the best t- name titles. And uh, I, I'm just a massive SCTV fan, so of course she was Also Beetlejuice. Oh, yeah, she's the lead in Beetlejuice, yeah. But yeah, for me, it's always like that one of the SCTV people. So, because that television show has always been one of my weird obsessions. What's Even now, like, it was a Canadian sketch comedy show from the late 70s, early 80s. Had Eugene Levy, uh, Joe Flatterly, John Candy, Rick Moranis, Martin Short were all on it. Harold Ramis was on it for a while. Okay. So uh, Canadian Saturday Night Live or what? Yeah, but it's not like a stage or anything. It's set up to look like you're just watching this network. So it's like fake commercials, fake TV shows. Yeah, And one of the, the it takes a little while to get into it because there are almost no punchlines everything is played like almost like 100 percent straight <laughs> so it's just you have to get in the vibe that they're subverting what you expect from television so it's really funny but there are no punchlines and that's off-putting for other people but uh, yeah you can watch the whole you can watch a bunch of it on youtube i would uh if you go for the first couple seasons it's um like 30 minute episodes or something uh bob and doug mckenzie the the Canadian beer swillers come from that show. If you if you've ever seen the movie Strange Brew, have you seen the movie Strange Brew? I know I have, but I I can't even place what the hell it was about. Oh, that that's about using beer to um, with chemicals to mind control people, so then they can be triggered by basically a moog. Uh, we were talking about moogs earlier, so you'll see all the employees of the brewery. Someone's in there like, and they go run and put in these like stormtrooper hockey suits and they like force them to play hockey or something <laughs> <laughs> on, on the top of a gas station. But, uh, no, in the hockey rink in the brewery, they have a hockey rink in the brewery. So as you do, 
That's right. But uh, yeah, actually, I, I would I would highly recommend uh, having a look at least at the wiki for Strange Brew because that does have some interesting, uh, you know, mind control MK Ultra vibe stuff in it. So <laughs> what so what 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 do you think this movie is trying to get across on on more subtle levels? Uh, we can't like you said, Disney aced the marketing as hard as they could. But the construction of the movie is from different sources. Apparently, Disney did not meddle that much in this one. This is you know, Burton's orders and, and Selleck making it and his team making it for the most part. I so. was wondering how much of this is autobiographical for Tim Burton. Um, because <clears throat> to me, it, it almost seems like Jack is living in this scientific world and it's basically atheism. He's, he's living inside atheism where the world is dead. There's no life anywhere and everyone's obsessed with the scientific method and everything like having to, uh, equal something and even jack when he first discovers christmas he goes back and he's trying to like make potions and he's writing out math equations and he's trying to figure out like what's the logic and what's the math and what's the science behind all of this and there's a lot of references to science in general and i guess chris in this way it's like christmas kind of represents just religion as a whole in a way to disney where it's like jack just found religion and he doesn't understand what it is yet because it's a feeling, not necessarily something that he can write down on a board or explain that exists in this this world of like dead, the, like the Halloween world that he lives in. So that it's to me, that's what the real story is about, is about Jack discovering religion or like some kind of a higher power and not being able to come to terms with it. And to me, that feels like something that Tim Burton probably went through as a kid, maybe. Um, and so that would make a biographical, but I'm reading into that deeply because that's what we do here. Yeah, of course. Yeah. The shot that sticks with me and I didn't remember it. I mean, it's been, you know, 30 years since I watched it last time, but, um, the scene where he is looking at all of the holiday doors and the trees, uh, for me, that really stuck in my mind and he just happened to choose, well, the picture of a tree on a tree. So he could have gone with a turkey on a tree too, but I'm glad he didn't because that movie would have been dry and tough, I think. So uh. <laughs> I don't know that I had that same exact thought because there, because when he gets to that scene, he gets into the middle of the woods. And this is a great way for, I'm surprised that they haven't revisited this yet. Maybe they have, and I just don't know about some like ancillary movie. But, but there's a St. Patrick's Day tree, there's an Easter tree, there's a Valentine's tree, um, there's the turkey tree that represents Thanksgiving. And I was trying to think, there's not a lot of kids Thanksgiving movies that like blew up. The only one I can really think of would be like Adam's Family 2, because they go to camp and there's the big... Mm. You know what I mean? But th there's another That's gap exactly in the market. That's exactly the example I was going to spit out you. So. <laughs> there's a, so clearly there's a gap in the market here because if someone says Christmas movie, you can think of a bunch. If someone says Halloween movie, you can like nonstop, you know, options. Valentine's Day movie, same thing. Thanksgiving movie. I don't know, man. I don't think anyone's really fully owned like the Thanksgiving cinema sort of go to. I would probably isn't planes trains and automobiles thanksgiving i think that one is uh but that's not really a good one for kids <laughs> yeah maybe but it's also very date i mean is that from like the early 80s or the mid 80s late like, 80s but yeah so yeah 40 year old movie um, that's what i'm saying is that nobody has really owned that uh in quite a while I, does nobody Chicken want run? thanksgiving it seems like someone's leaving money on the table here 
<clears throat> I don't. Well, you know what? I, I I've lived in a world with no Thanksgiving now for quite a, a long time, and that's fine with me. I, I never, yeah, Thanksgiving. The only thing I was excited about was uh, you know, going to see a movie at night because Thanksgiving it's like uh, it's going to be a, everything's closed. We're eating food. I don't really like that much. But there's no Thanksgiving movies, football. right? There's movies opening on Thanksgiving. You go see the new James Bond. <laughs> right. But I, I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe this is something I'm just following a thread too deep. But I feel like there could be an awesome Thanksgiving Oh, there could be. There. Yeah. So it's, it, but it, that, that is a mountain to climb. I'm sitting here thinking, man, I, could I make that entertaining? I don't know. It would have to be like a horror. For me, it would have to be a horror movie. Oh, there's got to be a Thanksgiving horror movie. I mean, it's always. Oh yeah, there's there's it's lots always, of them. They just aren't. I always great. love it when people take like a a somewhat obscure holiday and you know make a joke. When uh, there's a from about ten years ago, um, featuring Tim Allen as a, a trailer for Arbor Day, where you know dad's too busy and stuff for his son, and then he gets turned into a tree. <laughs> and it, it's like a Rob Schneider movie. Well, it's the the trailer has uh, Tim Allen actually. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's it's worth i think it's on his youtube page you couldn't watch it <laughs> arbor day i i do think this is genius though because disney could at any point go back and do a jack skellington easter movie or a jack skellington uh thanksgiving movie i would vote i mean for taking votes i would vote jack skellington Thanksgiving, well, movie. but like because now you could span Jack Skellington and apply him to even more holidays. I was going to say, Jack gets the Haunted Mansion every from October to December pretty much every year now, I believe. Um, I'm not sure if that's true in all parks. It's definitely true in, in the Tokyo one. So, And I kind of assume it, the American ones do that too. How much weight can Jack carry? Can Do you think Jack could carry another holiday on his back? Or do you think that... He's kind of loaded up with Halloween and Christmas pretty well. Well, he he just he just dabbled in Christmas. Um, he could do New Year, I guess. He'd have another old man and a baby to contend with. Uh, so that that would be like a a sequel edition. Oh, it's not just you know old man time, but it's it's the baby New Year as well. So he's got two critters to deal with. Uh, the Easter Bunny. They they kind of like dispatch the Easter Bunny really quick in this movie, I guess. So. Um, Fourth of July, Uncle Sam, another old man. I guess we just need to, to, you know, pair Jack Skellington with old white men with white beards. <laughs> or again, since they they dispose of the Easter Bunny pretty quick, this the world of Jack Skellington could also, if it's if it's not this relationship between atheism and religion, it could be like the non psychedelic experience versus the psychedelic because i still firmly believe no one has pushed me off that santa is a mushroom that easter bunny is a mushroom the easter eggs are mushrooms i really do believe this the holy grail is a freaking mushroom <laughs> so here's jack skellington in a, in a world of black and white monotony everything's the same all the time and then he gets this glimpse of a completely different world filled with color uh, and he goes through all of the symbolism of Santa as a shaman, right? He's got, they talk about the socks being hung up and he notes that they don't have feet in them. Um, and sometimes they've got like little goodies. He notices like the whole tree, the presence, like he brings back all the symbolism that is specific to mushrooms and Santa being a shaman, essentially. The Amanita Muscaria, I believe, like in particular. So, so I feel like that could be another really thing that overlays on top of this movie is that Jack 
got his fo- his first like big hit of something and he doesn't know how to explain it which is you know the the biggest problem when someone has their first spiritual or other dimensional thing like you don't necessarily know how to write it down or explain it to another person so what does he do he goes out and he brings mushrooms back for everyone in this case he brings santa back for everybody to take you know partake in it so uh, oogie boogie ate too many mushrooms that we're getting at he's driven himself insane he didn't he didn't stay on the on the middle path well enough <laughs> maybe because yeah they they bring um the the kids bring santa the oogie boogie first right so he was gonna like try and take a heroic dose but he wasn't prepared for it he was no mckenna okay <laughs> no he was no mckenna my friend yeah yeah um and, well, although... I, and i got a quick question just before i forget it is this a halloween movie or a christmas movie oh that's always been the thing here it's it's like you said it's both you get to own both holidays right but, but if you ha- if you had to pin it to one what is it well, it is the calendar that we've been doing these movies on, but I'm clearly pinning it as a Christmas movie this year. So, I, I agree. I think this is more Christmas than Halloween. But if we had started this podcast two months earlier, then for us it would have been a Halloween movie. But that's just because of scheduling. So I, Maybe. Yeah, and the, I think I think Christmas more. It's marketing again. I think that the Haunted Mansion is going to do its holiday overlay. And when you say holiday in that way, you... You mean Christmas. So um, that's cemented this in my mind as a Christmas movie. Before that, I might have said Halloween. But now at first, you know, Haunted Mansion, Christmas theming. Yes. I think that once you've got a Santa hat in a movie, it's a Christmas movie more than anything else. Oh, yeah. It's always fun. I mean, you know, there's always Die Hard's my favorite Christmas movie. You know, Iron Man 3 is a Christmas movie. That's the interesting thing about Shane Black, the guy who directed that. All of his movies are secretly Christmas movies. I guess he just was really into Christmas. Um, I think it's Prometheus genius. Christmas movie. I, I really <laughs> do. And, and I know how simple minded it is, but I think it would be genius to sneak in a reason to have a Christmas tree or a Christmas hat in every movie you ever make just so that you can get it on Christmas playlists like it. It really does qualify as a Christmas movie. As far as I'm concerned, if you check it with me, it counts. Uh, yeah, in 2023, I'm, I'm going to put a hard yes on this being a Christmas movie. But if you did want to watch it Halloween, I can get that too. Some people probably do both. <laughs> so, And um, Jack also in this movie at the very beginning, because I'm, I'm re-watching this for the first time caring about what's happening instead of just the visual eye candy mm. and I, I noticed right away that he is the wicker man he's the burning man at the very beginning of their halloween ritual so they like he's literally covered in you know bales of hay or wheat or grass and they burn him like he's on fire and he's dancing around and this is the big night like th- this is them uh, expelling all of their cares. He's the cremation of care ritual, essentially, yeah. uh, just with a pumpkin on his head instead of anything else. And the rest, as soon as that ends, the rest of the town, all they care about is planning for the next Halloween, like for the next 364 days. That's all they care about. So to me, this is a very real imagery of Jack being the wicker man, the burning man, that whole pagan concept of you know burning your cares away in this symbolic magic way which is kind of weird because the rest of everything that they really discuss feels like it's very scientific 
and everyone's trying to prove things and everyone's trying to figure out like the logic and the ration. And that's what sets Jack apart and Sally because Jack's the only one that has a feeling about something. And then Sally, she has a vision and she has the same feeling and no one else seems to have that kind of insight, like any sort of empathy. So a lot of the techies would have been, you know, teenagers or even younger, or a little older. And, uh, do you, th- do you think this is a seed? Cause this sets a lot of kind of style choices, especially in the nineties, you know, 10 or so years later, the, the tech folks start going out into the desert for burning man. Uh, maybe ha- trying to have this kind of a bacchanal. I don't know. <laughs> I, th- I think, I think the well burning man is, is a bigger influence than anything else that's been adapted to it. So like, yeah, Bert. And when I say burning man, I mean the original burning man, not the, the one that's out in the desert, but like that original wicker man, concept even oh no no i'm I'm getting that i was gonna say you know christopher lee would have loved this guy because i want to make sure we're tying that into the 1973 oh yeah (laughs) yeah i mean yeah you might as well just say chris christopher lee burning man is the same exact movie as nightmare before christmas that there's not a single frame difference between the two although it is interesting yeah not a single frame (laughs) you know they've got the uh constable and that is driven to terror whereas in the nightmare for christmas it's santa that's driven to terror uh the constable is going into the situation not knowing what it is but walking willingly into the situation uh for reasons that he doesn't know uh santa is being kidnapped here so that's kind of a a, a different thing that the the level of terror is a little different because it's wicker man the, the movie i'm specifically saying the, the good one is what have i done i walked into this where santa just gets to be creeped out by halloween world and uh you know like accosted by by oogie boogie yeah although he's not the one that gets sacrificed he does get kidnapped but it's for a slightly different reason than wicker man because in in this concept it's jack skellington that burns and represents that wicker man but if you think about it he his original plan is i'm gonna bring santa here and then i'm gonna go and become santa we're gonna swap places so if if jack skellington is used to being the wicker man every year and he's tired of it he goes out and he turns santa into the wicker man in this case so yeah santa didn't necessarily ask for it but he's now in the exact same place as the wicker man would be and in theory if santa for perform jack skellington's role he would be set on fire so um if santa had been down with the plan could you accept a holly jolly halloween <laughs> well wicker wicker man doesn't necessarily represent halloween right isn't that a summer solstice ritual oh i'm just assuming that if jack is taking christmas then uh santa has to take out you know you know it's only fair <laughs> <laughs> i mean if it just means more presents for everyone maybe well, you get presents like Jack's giving the kids, I guess. I don't know. I, I definitely, my, another favorite shot is the kid just uh, nonchalantly holding the shrunken head. That's fantastic. Because all the other kids are being attacked by their creepy presence or flipping out at their creepy presence. That's good. Like, uh. and, and it looks so much like the shrunken head in the Beetlejuice movie again. Yeah, maybe they just borrowed it from there. <laughs> It's the Tim Burton version of a hidden Mickey as he just sneaks a shrunken head into all of his movies. Well, I do a, the podcast where I look through all the Twilight Zone episodes and the sci-fi, the space ones in particular. It's just funny because like half the props in all of those episodes are from uh, Forbidden Planet. 
So, you know, they literally just went into the closet and got these forbidden planet props and, and used them. So could be could be like that or, you know, was a, a, we'll get to in the Pixar's where every Pixar movie has something in it to suggest the next Pixar movie. Like you'll see a Lotso bear on the wall somewhere and up, I think that that sort of thing. Yeah, when we we speculated that that might have started with the Brave Little Toaster and that the lamp might yes. need the lamp in the Pixar logo. Yes, yes, yes. So, we'll we'll get back to that line soon enough, I, I imagine. Um, did we hit your notes directly? I, I know we. Yeah, got I've, I've got one last note, Man. and this was, this kind of backs up the theory that it might be about atheism and finding religion, or maybe some kind of a spiritual experience of some kind. But Santa, as Jack is, as they first kind of interact, and he says, haven't you heard of heaven on earth and goodwill towards men? And then Jack just nonchalantly just like, nope. And then he just keeps going right along. Uh, or no, sorry, it wasn't, this wasn't Jack. I think that was, that was a uh, lock stock and a, yeah, the boogie boys. Um, yeah. so, and, and lock the boogie shot. boys also representing this like scientific method way of thinking, like there's there's no room for spiritualism right it's all logic and that's when he's like no wait i don't fit in there and they're like you fit through a chimney so you'll fit through here and i thought that was another really good way of just showing like their scientific way of of rationale right they logically thought out oh this property applies to you in this way so it should apply to you in this way so again like they're very scientifically minded and it just it keeps coming up the mad scientist even jack mentions the word science a few times and how he's like thinking about the world so all that is making a really strong case and then the dr susie land i, I was going to mention cuz yeah the you know when he goes to christmas town it is like the psychedelic trip it's uh you know very whoville that kind of thing the real world is made to look pretty much in between and somewhat bland it's kind of like intentionally bland in this movie like the houses are very suburban which you know tim burton loves to do again look at edward scissorhands again so he's going to this is he trying to bring magic to a very unmagical place he's been bringing dark magic which you know if you wanted to get weird and fire and brimstone religion you could also say that's science if you wanted science is dark magic and he's uh, opposed to the the brightness. But then he's trying to bring whatever to the our real world made somewhat bland in this movie. The animation's great. I'm just talking design. <laughs> right. And and you can even see when it goes between the different worlds that when he's in like Christmas town, uh, it's it's colorful, it's saturated, it's what you probably would expect like a, a Disney movie to look like in a lot of ways. And then when he goes back to his town it's very much more like sepia toned. It's cooler colors. Like there's def obviously there's color treatment for the obvious reasons, but they like crank it over a little bit. And then once they go to the suburban town in the regular world, it's got more than just a neutral effect. They almost like suck some of the saturation out to make it seem a little bit more lifeless than either Jack Skellington's world or the Christmas world. Yeah. When they're trying to shoot down his, um, his coffin um <laughs> you know the shots of the the infantry not infantry the artillery is just very like it looks like you know world war ii stock footage sort of stuff yeah and i mean I, maybe there's a story here where tim burton is talking about the the weaponization of christmas in a way 
because there's also, you know, the fact that Santa's normally coming here and he kind of paints Santa being like an idiot and everyone in Christmas town being idiots and that everyone that lives with Jack Skellington, like they're kind of more advanced. They're smarter. Again, they're like the scientific mad scientists that. Yeah, don't but fit insane. In. But insane, but wouldn't you wouldn't you rather be smart and insane? Well, I don't know. Maybe I mean it's a good question. Smart and insane or dumb and happy. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess we get to a, a bit to Sally and, and her creator, because Sally is our shrinking violet who is literally stitched together, able to separate her parts and remain and those parts can remain like sentient in some way. A brave little toaster we talked about. We'll talk a little more in Tori's story, but I thought it was interesting. I had to think about that here a little bit too. Uh, Daddy splits his brain with his new creation, uh, you know, nice and ghoulish for the animation. But when you think about it, it's like, okay, that's kind of a wild trip. Is this AI? Was that, is that him uploading? And does that mean that, that the scientist is catfishing Jack Skellington? Like, is there even really a Sally? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, but in the case of his new creation, he literally pulls out half of his brain and puts in a new one where you don't get the impression he did that with Sally. Although he, Sally is Sally kind of a homunculus as well. well absolutely created. she is. Yeah. And how many of these creations are? Is Lock and Shock the same thing? Where, where do egg here i guess but uh well, you know how many of these are actual beings and how many of them are like magical or scientific creations so i'd i would argue that sally is something different like if not a homunculus something more magical because it directly violates the renee descartes whole theory of where the soul sits you know the whole like souls in your pineal gland and even if you don't believe that the reason that he came to that conclusion was because if you chop off your arm, you, you're not like an arm less in your soul. And it's like, you can even still feel your arm. You even had that phantom limb concept that people go through, right? That phenomenon where like you still feel your fingers or you get like a, a cramp in your leg that's no longer there. So he used that to explain that the soul doesn't live in your arm. If anything, it's got to live somewhere that if you chopped everything else off, it would still be there. And it would also have, for that reason, would have to be almost in like the central position. And that's where he pinpointed the pineal gland because it's completely centered in the brain. So it can't necessarily live to like one, like the left side or the right side. Um, but if Sally can chop her arm off and the arm can remain sentient, then she violates that whole concept of either having a soul in your arm. So either she does or it means that she never had a soul to begin with, which seems more likely the case which definitely means that she's a homunculus. So that's two homunculus and, confirmed in one movie. Okay. And then we'll get to the toy soon, I guess. Uh, and I, I was, well, it'll be a while before we get toy story three, but I did recently rewatch that. And since we've been doing this podcast, I had forgotten that Mrs. Potato head, since her eye is at Andy's house and they're a few miles away at the kindergarten, she can still see that eye still functions. And it's like, quantumly entangled yep. with her somehow and you know watching it recently like, okay that that's that raises like eight different questions at least well <laughs> skipping ahead a little bit because toy story 3 in all seriousness was the first disney movie that i saw on my own uh and I, I don't mean like literally on my own but i mean like that as i was watching it i remember thinking this is programming like this is nefarious 
programming and it wasn't because i was like li- listening to conspiracy podcast or anything like i i remember seeing it in the theater with uh, my roommate and my roommate brought his kids so i tagged along i was like yeah it's probably going to be a good movie because it's a freaking disney multi-million dollar budget movie but there's this scene and the whole premise of the movie is that like they're trying to save the toys from either being given away or being like ground up very brave new to or um uh, brave little toastery right like it's it's almost the same beat for beat in a certain scene do you know what i'm talking about it's like a big grinder and there's like fire yeah, I, 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 yeah oh yeah yeah, yeah. it's incinerator i think we brought it up a bit and, in brave and i remember thinking i'll break well we're gonna up again when we go to the movie but i remember thinking that this is nefarious because they're teaching kids right now that your toys that you've outgrown that probably deserve to get thrown away or given away that they've got souls and that they will suffer and they'll die and you'll cause pain and anguish and grief to them if you throw them away or let them out of your sight or give them away. And how, I don't know, that that just seems so incredibly nefarious to, to be drilling that in in such a small, like a strong level for these little tiny brains of like, no, truly, your, your toys, not only are they alive, but they can feel pain and they're terrified that you might throw them out one day. I don't know, I think... There's something nefarious about that. Yeah, well, that one in particular is considered the dark toy store. And people are like, oh, it's because they almost get incinerated. But then it's because of those feel. Understand that even if they're not saying it out loud, which makes it extremely effective if we're looking at it from a programming angle. Well, and, and, <laughs> and if you I mean, um, if you believe like I do. <laughs> That Disney cares more about owning nostalgia and and the price of nostalgia and investing in nostalgia more than necessarily the movies being breakout success left and right because they can bank on it to just always exist. So you might say from like a business standpoint, it goes against the whole planned obsolescence thing. Like, yeah, of course we want you to throw out your old Woody so that you buy another one in five years or like when you've got kids, you don't want to like pass it around. But you also want it to be omnipresent. You just want that toy to always be around. And then now, not only do you have dad's, you know, Woody, but you'll have your own. And then you'll get, you know, one for Buzz Lightyear for your kid. And maybe it just turns into like a whole legacy. (laughs) I love what you're doing here. (laughs) (laughs) For people I can't see, there's there's a continual lots over there behind me, which I did save from a garbage bag once. I did buy it, but then they're house cleaning too much and tried to throw a lots of bear and the cookie monster and like you're saying i saw a toy story three. Yep. i couldn't let that happen so i i did let a few toys get thrown away though oh <laughs> but not lots of the cookie monster or dumbo i think i saved dumbo from the garbage as well my wife got a little too uh, ganky too energetic with the house cleaning ones everything so. gets thrown out <laughs> it's like that's my cookie monster that's right that's right um yeah the cookie monster where is i, I have a full-size cookie monster puppet which i keep at work for obvious reasons because i'm a teacher but uh i only bring him out so much he's become legendary kids are always talking about the cookie monster but i only actually bring him out once a month because i I don't want them ripping him apart or something because you know kids will try and rip off the cookie monsters i kind of want to just thinking about it (laughs) (laughs) there's ping pong balls though they can be damaged but uh yeah 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 (laughs) also it's um kind of when you hear 
uh, puppeteers complain, you know, in Muppet movies and like, this is a hard job, just, you know, controlling that guy for five minutes and, and doing the voice. Yeah, your hand gets tired and your voice gets blown out. So I get it. <laughs> I see why Frank Oz doesn't want to do this stuff anymore. <laughs> I imagine they just they just find people that smoke Newports exclusively to do the voice. Yeah, yeah, that, that that smoking and then getting on Sesame Street. That makes sense. <laughs> I'm sure it's happened. I mean, it turns I mean, out they the didn't have the greatest vetting process based on some of the stories. Smoke. Yeah, Elmo has a new voice now, doesn't he? <laughs> and Puppeteer. I did. I, uh, how about let's let's roll back to the nightmare a bit. If you had any more uh, strain threads to pull on They're um the, the only it. remaining one is really there was just an interesting note that sally is performing a very traditional role when it comes to uh, occult practices she is sort of the master of poison here um and she's also being kept away kind of like a homunculus would uh by her her creator right like when she disobeys he locks her up but she's also the one that's entrusted to making all of these different little concoctions and that's poison was kind of known as like you know the, the 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 tool of like the ladies or something or like the evil you know ladies evil and again like oh that's um my daughter's always trying to poison me that's kind right. of a, yeah. uh, Adam yeah, it's, a, it's a very real sort of <laughs> uh like m my girlfriend is trying to poison me constantly so it's a very real thing just warning for everyone out there too that if you do have a significant other that's female they're trying to poison <laughs> you constantly it's a eternal battle uh-oh oh i i i eat what they leave for me when i come home at night i, I must be filled with all the poisons by now <laughs> Dinner's always a surprise. Actually, it's not a surprise. Some nights they sleep curry half, half of the week, which well, is and, fine. And she, I like uh, curry. Sally also <laughs> serves as almost like the king's taster in a way, right? Because she has to taste the soup before she feeds it to her master. And that might be because she sees poison in there once in a while. But so, Yeah, as well right. say, she poisons and tests yeah, it. Often enough <laughs> she that she keeps both. a spare spoon in her sock uh, <laughs> just to trick uh, her master from, you know, thinking that she's actually tasting the poison. Do you think Sally's demeanor kind of did some societal programming, especially in the 90s? Like, especially like, you know, I, I don't think too many guys were like, I'm going to be like Jack Skellington. But I, I think a few girls were kind of like, oh, I want to be kind of a Sally. I don't think there's any guy out there that's like, I, I'm like, well, there probably are. Let me take that back. There's a bunch of weird, <laughs> there's a bunch of weirdos out there. But like, yes, yeah, Sally was, is just a completely vacant doll, like a complete homunculus, no soul in, in a lot of ways, at least for me. I don't know. Maybe there's a lot of Sally simps out there, but yeah, it, she, she kind of gives off that, that, uh, Disney project monarch mind control vibe in a way, doesn't she? <laughs> Yeah, but then she does take a little more agency, I think. I mean, she actually goes and goes about trying to fix things and, and save Santa. So she ends up maybe, with that Maybe, but she's a homunculus. Stress, but... How much agency does a homunculus have? Well, that's my point. She goes out to do this little mission. She's got a pretty good plan that works 80% of the way until, you know, they're recaptured and uh, almost, you know, dumped into a lava pit. But that that takes some proactiveness, I guess, that you would not expect from from well, a homunculus, to be sure. 
And I don't know of many female homunculi either. So, do, do they have a sex? <laughs> they do. Yeah, because a homunculus oh, okay. means little man. Oh, okay. Oh, and yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's a it's a fractal version of a man. So yeah. every from what my understanding is that every homunculus has always been thought of as a man, and that okay. there's not really like a a female equivalent. Hmm. Well, maybe that's what we get with this movie then. So that's kind of exciting. Well, yeah, Sa- Sally is one of the first female homunculi. Yeah, but you got it's a different creation. You got to stitch her together. I mean, I that guess counts. you stitch the I animal when you're making them. Okay, yeah, that sure. totally counts. <laughs> Haven't made my own yet. I, I know you have your own make it make your make it yourself kits too now. So you're, <laughs> yeah, I mean here here's some of the magic powder that it comes with. I swear it's it's legal. <laughs> uh, but it, it clearly says uh, do uh, not inhale the dust or powder right and yeah and if you do you'd need to call like four or five different organizations but yeah that'll that'll be coming out soon yeah we're we're have a whole homunculus growers kit for people like you that don't know what the hell you're doing (laughs) you can now rely on the experts to kind of have like a little pre think of it as like a frozen meal right like a tv dinner version of a homunculus you want to go through and find your own cow uterus and have to like find the dung of some exotic animal that you have to dig up on a full moon like no one's got time for that in these busy days so we've gone through all of that extra effort and put together the perfect kits guaranteed to grow a homunculus and we'll, we'll come out with that soon. I don't know when we're going to drop it, but it'll it'll be sometime in the first half of next year. Yes. And no, I'm not kidding. It sounds like a joke, but no, I'm not. No, I'm not he's kidding. not kidding. Um, yeah. Everything I've heard about the creation, I'm like, man, I, I guess people of the past were like cooler with like, you know, putrid odors and farm smells and stuff. So because <laughs> now I'm like, man. well, they, they saw putricide as. Uh, one of the key elements to life in this weird like di- way of like dichotomies you know like paradoxically the smell of death meant that something else could be living i don't think that's true <laughs> but what they saw is that they would see like a, a cow starting to die right and then and maggots would be born and you would get the smell and they would equate that that smell of putricide to the life of the maggots and they actually thought that the death created the life not no one really thought like a fly came and laid its eggs there and flew back away. It was like, oh my God, this dead flesh turned into new life. So that was some of the premise of all this. Yep. Yeah, I guess that's where you got to put a little more scientific method. Watch it for a while. See, see what happens first. But uh, that's that's the jump poke to it conclusions, with a stick. That's It's the original <laughs> scientific process. Poke, poke it with a stick. See what happens. I think that's often still a scientific process. <laughs> They just charge a lot more for the stick now. Yeah. Uh, did you have any final thoughts on this one? Or maybe lots uh, of thoughts. A, I don't know where you are. It's legitimately a great movie. I think that it it's weird that it's a touchstone movie. So it has like a little asterisk. Like, yeah, it's a Disney movie. Asterisk. The same way that Roger Rabbit is. But at this point, it made enough money that Disney fully graduated it into being like a normal Disney canon thing. Maybe Roger Rabbit just never made enough money for them to like fully embrace it evergreen and i didn't realize probably because i haven't been in the states for years but since 2010 they've been re-releasing this thing in three 3d and i guess using this as sort of a uh a vehicle to try and up the technology every year mm-hmm. like you know if you go a few years later it's supposed to be a better 3d experience uh they've just done the 30th anniversary and uh 
I mean, I'm just going by what the wiki's saying here, but it's like, yeah, this is kind of causing a resurgence in 3D, which I don't know, it doesn't excite me that much because uh, I, I was. I've been, we've been through so many of those resurgences at this point, right? Yeah. Like, we're on like the fourth or fifth one of, of my lifetime, at least. But yeah, one of the reasons there is no sequel is I think around 2002, Disney was. We should make a sequel. Burton's like, sure. CGI. No. <laughs> so, yeah. That, that sort of thing. It would have. It, and and by the way, Frankenweenie that you mentioned is awesome. One of my favorite, um, like the the is there's a cartoon version, but also a claymation, right? Or am I am I making that up? Uh, I have it on Blu-ray right over here. I got it for one dollar in the Blu-ray Apocalypse. Have not watched it yet. It it is the twenty twelve. Oh, it one. is, it is phenomenal. Yeah, seriously, I knew it, I it is to watch a really it. good movie. Yeah, I definitely bought it, but uh, I bought like eighty movies from the Blu-ray Apocalypse, so. I, yeah have a, and then we're getting to that one anyway so that's kind of like that's the thing with, with doing podcasts like this it's like oh i should really see that movie well i'm gonna see it in two and a half years <laughs> i have to <laughs> okay we'll leave it for then <laughs> like i said with whiplash like, i'll see it in like two years from now for sure and parasite i'll finally watch parasite like two years from now <laughs> but hey that's a nice way to pace yourself right you, you don't want to do everything at once that's one of the problems with uh with modern pop media culture it's like here's 87 television shows you're supposed to watch so you can watch this one movie it's like no <laughs> we're throwing shots at, at uh, marvel right now which is also disney or star wars which is also disney <laughs> i guess <Yeah>. i'm throwing, <laughs> throwing shots at disney or netflix i mean um i i don't know if i was talking to you i've definitely seen on podcasts where i really like the new fincher film the killer and it barely gotten a release because it's like a Netflix thing. You're like, oh, that's not a real movie. It's like, no, it's a real movie. It's good. I don't so. think that at all. I'm, I I know I'm in a niche here, especially within like movie aficionados and cinemaphiles. But I hated the movie theater. I never like going to the movie theater. I like I like having a huge sound system where like the bass is as big as my house or like bigger than one of the rooms in my house. And I liked the huge screen. And I like the smell of the popcorn. But I'm a misanthrope, and I don't like to be around <laughs> other people, and I don't like not being able to pause it or go and just like make a stinky Lindberger and sardine. You know, <laughs> I don't really do that. But the in concept, right? Like, go and do your own thing, and like watch the movie in your own way. And I know that there's probably also directors and people that work on movies that are like cringing, and that it's like, no, you're supposed to sit in this little tiny box and stare at a screen for two and a half hours and not move, and no birth bathroom breaks, and no making noise. But that's not how I've ever liked watching movies. I, I, I get a win in Japan because uh, they like to see movies during the day. So the late show, which is usually like eight or nine, is cheaper. And I'll go and like, so I've had private screenings of movies, basically. And maybe there's like five people in there. It doesn't um, sound sustainable, man. <laughs> well, oh, everyone comes in the afternoon. So it's yeah. like going to a matinee, except it's nighttime. So uh, anyway, I will give a, a plus up to the, the, the killer, which I did not watch in the movie theater. I did watch that, you know, on on my computer but uh that that's a good one so it seems to have mixed reviews and i'm on team positive for that one but uh and then i'm on team positive for nightmare before christmas i'll admit that 30 years ago i was slightly underwhelmed i was but it's it, it helps to have i think uh more experience than a 14 year old for this movie <laughs> I don't want that smoke from the Hot Topic crowd, so I love this movie. I've always loved this movie. I will forever love this movie. Nightmare Before Christmas, Till the Day I Die. Go after Matt. 
Yeah, I'm assuming yeah. there's like a Taylor assume... Swift. There's like a Swifty movement behind Nightmare Before Christmas. You don't want to upset. Yeah, probably. <laughs> anyway, I, I just watched it for the first time in 30 years and quite enjoyed it. I, I kind of thought I would like it when I saw it again. I just hadn't, you know, gotten around to it. So it's this good. A great Not every song so. is an earworm. Some of the songs are like it's it's like this didn't need to be a song. You could just be talking at this point. This is Halloween playing for a month every year in Japan is enough of an earworm. I don't need more than that. <laughs> oh, just just the last note I'll throw out is um, they were worried about Oogie Boogie coming across as racist. And I think I think actually the let, let's see what it says here. Um, they're basically, yeah, don't worry about it. Uh, I, I need to look at this here specifically, I think, to get it right. Um, concerts, video games. Man, yeah, there's so much stuff on this. Okay, possible sequel. Here we go. Okay, Danny Elfman was worried that Oogie Boogie would be considered racist by the NAACP. Uh, the screenwriter thought so. Burton said she was being oversensitive. They got they got an African-American singer to do it. Uh, they actually did get caught out a little bit. It didn't kill the movie, but there was a bit of an issue for, for Oogie Boogie, apparently, being racist. I guess because it's all the voodoo-y stuff he's like rapping a little bit I, I don't really know what it was to be honest uh, it was like the mini the moocher um betty boop cartoons I, I think that was part of the explanation i i got that and it's not because i felt that way but it was like oh this is the i've i felt very much like this was out of place because a 2023 disney movie might might have done it slightly differently but i was just like you know coming hot off the heels of some of the previous movies uh, like the the person with soul that sings jazz is always black, and in this case, I've it's heard like people pretty unhappy about soul. <laughs> I've heard lots of people. Are, I I haven't seen soul, but I've heard uh, several people have issues with that one. Well, like like it's racist. It's about a black guy. Who I I don't know what the uh, was it that he dies and I don't know. I haven't seen the movie so. Uh, I was just hearing someone complaining about last week. I guess it's all is where I'm coming from, but forgot what the uh, specific description was. <laughs> um, oh, what was that last? Oh, I was just gonna say, have you have you seen those Betty Boop cartoons from the early 30s? I have. Okay, yeah, yeah I've got the. Oh yeah. So, I mean, they pro those are racist, but they're also like. Well, they're not because I mean they got. Well, they all out. were they, because they, they, yeah, this, the '30s, you know. Yeah, the, the one that you're talking about, like the Max Fleischer early ones that had the Cab Calloway and stuff. If you look at Disney cartoons at the exact same time, guess what? They had the Mammies and they had the uh, like the Guineas that were you know cooking um, everybody in like the big vat. Like everyone was doing that. Bugs Bunny cartoons were doing the yeah. same thing. Uh, man, there was. I remember growing up watching the reruns and it was like, you know, they were all doing the Mickey Rooney routine. Every single cartoon was doing like the, the slanted eyes and the, and the chopsticks as teeth. But there you get footage of Cab Calloway and Louis Armstrong actually performing in the early thirties, which is amazing. And you get, and it's really good rotoscope too, is where you, you draw over each frame of something. It's one of the, the best examples of rotoscope. And in fact, I believe that in particular scene, the Cab Calloway and the Betty Boop, that one is what inspired Cuphead, or one of the many ones that inspired Cuphead. Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, the imagination there, you, you have to put lots of butts on it, but but it's still just an amazingly imaginative, you know, for uh, within the weird constraints of the time. <laughs> it was very creatively racist. It wasn't just regular racist. Like, there was a lot of flair to it. 
I guess that's why Oogie Boogie kind of you can draw a line to it because it had it does have a little. I it's like in, if those earlier cartoons didn't exist, I don't think anyone would ever have that feeling. It's like the earlier media informed the later media. You know, when do you think Disney's going to remake Birth of a Nation in CGI? Hmm. It'll have to be. It'll be a plus on streaming, and and no one will see it. Sounds more like a Daily Wire sort of thing where they're like, Disney wouldn't do this, but we will. <laughs> it actually came out a year ago. You just don't know about it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it came out in 2021. Yeah. <laughs> this this is random, but just to wrap it up, have you seen the Atlas Shrugged movies? Have I even read the book? No, I haven't, but <laughs> that's that's another fever dream in itself. I'm sure. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, Fever Dream of Movies. I, yeah, those seem like books you can't easily adapt. And they were made... I, that was like 10 years ago, isn't it? It was a while ago. Uh, maybe more than 10 years. Yeah, the first one was done with a very high budget. And it didn't do very well. And then the second one, they like really had to finish the story. That, was there even three? I don't remember if there was three. But it's like a long... Like if you watched them all back to back, it's like a seven-hour experience. And there's an immediate drop in quality after the first movie where they recast everyone. And everything's like green screen and CGI instead. But there's Ugh. a very there's a very <laughs> real sunken cost fallacy feeling where you're like, well, I saw the first one. Mm-hmm. like, And I, put, I watched that three hours. So I kind of have to watch this other three hours. Okay, I don't know if you're selling me on that one. <laughs> no, I mean I'm not a salesman, but if you do, Paranoid 15, you'll if if you put that code in, it'll play 15% faster. So it'll be over a little bit sooner. <laughs> um, I guess we'll wrap up for today if you want to give a bit more in your code there. Yeah, uh, twins.com is still the big thing. Uh the campaign ended. It's fully funded it's shipping in january but even if you're listening to this now or in the future even if this is like in the year 2030 you should be able to still go to chaostwins.com and grab a copy and hopefully if it is 2030 you'll grab all six uh plus the movie plus the Neuralink branded chaos twins that you plug in through your eye all right as for me i do a lot of media esque podcast uh on patreon where podcastio podcastius i'll try and micro machine it uh there's a twilight zone time enough podcast there's really good movies really bad movies on films and filmpuses okay of podcasting uh this one's a call at disney we talk about space 1999 on podcast 1999 and some of my friends do video game stuff there's luke loves pokemon hyrule field report about zelda games and the game game show where gamers game each other about the games Okay, there we go. I'm trying to make it so if people really want to hit the plus thirty, it like timed out right, you know. <laughs> when they're if they, you know if you listen every week, maybe you don't need to hear the plug every time. So, but hey, if you're here for the first time, welcome too, because this is a big movie. People might show up for the night before Christmas. Okay, so what 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 are you gonna do for this Christmas? I'm going to go to work. It's usually my day off but we're working on Christmas. <laughs> That's Japan. <laughs> I got laid off recently, so I'm kicking back and just uh, I'm doing a little me time for Christmas. Okay, that sounds good too, because I'm going to have kids screaming at me for Christmas, which I, get, may, I guess that is the Christmas experience. It is Christmas. So. That's why you have to give them presents. Mer- it's the real Halloween. It's the real trick-or-treat. Oh, God, they're going to ask for Imagine not giving 
your kids presents on Christmas, if you really want to know what trick or treat was all about, I feel like that would be a better example. 